Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Oldfield Consultancy AI podcast with me, Marie Oldfield, your host. And today we're going to do things just a little bit differently. Um, that is because I've got a new paper out called um, Analytical Modeling and UK Government Policy in AI and Ethics in the journal. And um, Murray has kindly agreed to come back and um, question me on it. And so we can find out a little bit more about it. So um, I am going to give up control of this podcast, which is actually really, really weird, and um, be interviewed so it's quite scary actually um give me your best grilling <laughs> yeah um it, it it is a really really um important and uh prominent paper really that that you've written marie um and and uh, i would really encourage anybody that's working within um you know a whole broad range of, of areas, you know, whether you're working in modeling, whether you're working within, you know, um, government or any sort of, you know, um, kind of decision making that requires, you know, that kind of um, data and modeling input into the decision making this this is this is really important and prominent. I, I think people should should really take notice of it. So, but not to not to still um you know um too much from you marie give us a little bit of an introduction and 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 tell us a bit about the concepts of of the paper so there is there is a little bit of background to this so um i did work on the the aqua book um for for uk government and it didn't experience that much of a take-up and that was meant to be best practice for analysts and and we wrote a whole book and and i went through and, and edited it and we hoped that this would be a, a cross-government best practice text and we went to cross-government meetings and, and we we got this out there and in the subsequent years I, I saw that this wasn't really taken up and when i was doing modeling in different departments um the home office and and things like that they didn't really know what the best practice guide was and the problem is that the best practice guide actually drove the audit process um, and how to model in an ethical and robust manner. Um, and so it, it got a little bit concerning um, when I saw that these, um, you know, kind of best practice guides weren't really being followed. And then when I was going into um, consult on different models, I was seeing um, mistakes in a fair few and, and some models we, we had to completely just um, rework because they, they weren't um, working in the way that it should be either due to lack of testing or development or um, the, the, the methodology behind them. So when I went in to do this paper, I um, came across just by accident, the Lord Science and Technology Committee um, uh, inquiry of 2020 into the modeling of COVID. And what I was hearing in that were exactly the same kind of issues that I'd been experiencing for the past few years. So I went into the Lord Science and Technology Committee and, and I looked at what they were saying and they were coming up with, with some really basic challenges such as uh, lack of safe space to challenge, lack of leadership, lack of data availability. All these things are really, really basic for being able to do any type of modeling. Um, and if, if you're going to do modeling, you really need to be getting the right data. You need to be following an ethical, robust process to create a model and then be able to challenge where, where you need to or where you, where you can, because 
obviously the professionals are there because they know how to model you know I can build models but if I'm not given the right data and I'm given the wrong methodology then I can't build anything reasonable that's representative of real life so I, I looked into this and then I went back to um, the reason why we did the Equibook in the first place and that was based on the um, McPherson review and the Laidlaw report which was based on the West Coast um, franchise failure um, back in 2012, 2013, these reports were written where we lost huge amounts of money because the modeling um, was just not robust in any way, shape or form. And the lists and lists of issues that came out of these reports um, were again, basic things. There was nobody, nobody responsible for the model. There weren't enough staff. There was a lack of resources. The staff turnover meant they didn't have somebody that was a custodian of the model. There wasn't communication. People didn't understand what was going on in the model. The minister didn't even understand what was going on in the model. And all this is laid out um, quite clearly in these reports. I then went back even further and I found the failure of the Metronet and that was in the 90s and some of the people that were sat on the committees that were looking at the failure of the Metronet are now sat in senior positions in government so it, it kind of it didn't fill me with a huge amount of faith so I went back through the whole um the whole three case studies there and I looked at what the failings were and if we'd made any progress so the upshot of this was that when I went into these case studies, I found that not only had we made no progress and we still had the same failings that we had in 2012, that we had in the 90s, we actually had more failings. Um, and I, I couldn't believe it because I thought, well, surely after all these inquiries, and I mean, the Laidlaw report and the McPherson review were, were massive um, in terms of government inquiries. They, they were quite embarrassing. And not only were they embarrassing, um, we lost huge amounts of money. The government lost huge amounts of money, taxpayers' money on the Metronet, on the West Coast franchise, because you have to pay, um, you know, um, I want to say restitution towards the aggrieved parties. So people that couldn't renew their bids that said that the bid process wasn't correct, that said that there were major issues within the modeling. Um, people had to be paid at the end of the day. So all, all of that money was just completely wasted. My concern moving into 2020 was that as um, I, I work a lot in military and government and, and as a lot of the models um, not only uh, put at risk taxpayers' money, they put at risk lives. I was then concerned, well, what did the modeling in 2020 encompass? And we were looking at crisis models. We were looking at models that um, needed to be adapted quickly. We were looking at models that um, had constructive challenge been accepted, we might not be in the position that we are now. And a lot of the restrictions were based on, um, well weren't based on evidence they weren't based on the evidence from um a lot of what was modeled at the time they were based on political decision which unfortunately in the last kind of you know it might have been longer but from my experience the last few years judgment has overtaken evidence-based decision um modeling within the uk government and that's that's a really sad state of affairs because what we've got there is people's lives being put at risk because the modelers doing the modelling who are themselves experts can't challenge it in a safe environment. They can't get the right data. They haven't got the right leadership. And, and this to me just seemed crazy that we'd be in this position where because we didn't have basic guides that were being disseminated, we didn't have um, communication that was going on correctly, that, that we would 
end up putting people's lives at risk and, and wasting a huge amount of money. And that to me is unacceptable. Um, in, in the field that I work in, I work um, a fair amount in pro bono statistics and humanitarian work. It seems to me just to be unacceptable to, to be putting people's lives at risk because we can't get our act together in terms of a basic modeling process. Yeah, so uh, you've you've ticked off many of my questions. <laughs> you gave us a very good overview there of 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 the paper, um, going through you know some of the 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 approach of what you're looking at, why you know this is this is so important, and 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 just a little bit of the findings there. Um, but what what I want to ask you then is is um, with with everything now, um, with the, the the great prominence of of modeling um, and uh, complex modeling and AI systems becoming um, more and more important in um, supporting decision making, um, is this is this becoming more of a problem because it's becoming more more prominent, or is it becoming perhaps more of a problem if if it is? because the decision-making is based on modeling um, and, and making sure that this modeling is, is, is correct. There's, there's a huge amount of things that, that feed into it. And, and that's why the paper was so long in the end, because there's just so many uh, things that feed into it. So even if you start from um, a professional point of view, you've got people that are coming through um, school that aren't getting the best education in maths that they could get. They're then not being taught about ethics. They're going to university. There's no benchmark statement for artificial intelligence. Statistics over the last six years has become data science, then machine learning, then artificial intelligence. The professional bodies can't keep up. There isn't a professional body really for AI. Um, there's, um, you know, the, the, the subject benchmark statements at university prescribe what you're supposed to learn and how you're supposed to be assessed. They're not present at this time um, for artificial intelligence or for data science, as far as I know, two years ago, a year ago, they weren't there. And what this means is ethics and robust modeling processes are not there either. So people come out of university and then they're expected to do things like modeling. Some people, I've seen people who've done an A-level um, maybe not even in maths and then they're doing um you know management information modeling or modeling of some kind and in GCSE we definitely don't teach um modeling and robust ethical processes so so people are coming out of the education system without that background they then move into their professional work and there is really no professional body that that teaches that and and I'm lucky that in statistics it does get taught but in mathematics um not generally so then we're looking at people that come into the workplace and they haven't actually got that background. Then what we fail to do is we fail to teach them it in the workplace. So we ask them to do some modeling. And I've seen anything from random number generators put onto models to models that don't even put the output in the right place. And we don't even know if, if the process is actually doing what it's supposed to do. And why would anybody look at that? Because people assume that the person before them and the person before them has done the job right. Um, and the fact is that you know, probably they haven't. And it's very difficult to find people that actually know how to do this modeling in, in a reasonable manner. 
And as we move further and further into artificial intelligence, what we start to see is um, algorithms like the one that the Home Office put out are then um, withdrawn to the tune of billions of, of pounds um, of taxpayers' money again and discrimination against society because we haven't done the robust modeling, we haven't done um, testing. And what, what underpins this is, is the kind of things that we talk about in the Aqua book, such as you need to be testing the model. You need to understand the data. There's, there's no real point saying my algorithm's biased. Your algorithm's not biased. You've just put data into the, um, into the algorithm and it's done something with it. If your data reflected real life, then in the sense that it potentially favors somebody in the process of the algorithm, that's completely different to statistical bias, which we did a podcast on with, with Richard Soldana, Dr. Richard Soldana. And the podcast with Canapria um, tells us about how you need context within the model. So what's actually missing is the fact that, as we discussed with the Apple credit card, if you've got um, females that are at home looking after children or even males, um, because they um, aren't at work, they're then being discriminated against because of, of their income and they can't have a credit card. What the system's failing to take into account is the context and, and the reality that surround that and then putting that through the algorithm. And that's because when we as humans try to program into an algorithm what it is that we want it to do, we have to do it in a rule-based manner. And to convert context into a rule-based system is, is nigh on impossible without having some sort of general intelligence. And this is something, again, in stock marking, stock, stock marking, stock markets, that works in this way where you've got the algorithm that will tell you where the money's going it'll tell you where the stocks are going but you can't predict it because what will happen is tomorrow a press release comes out from a ceo and then something's completely different or somebody um cancels uh, a sponsorship and then everything changes and you can't predict that from just the numbers just the numbers aren't enough so that context, like we were saying in, in our podcast with the, the complex platforms, it's so critical to be able to do any type of modeling. So where you've then got evidence-based decision-making, you have to make sure that you are one, making the decision on the evidence and actually on the evidence, not on some sort of agenda or narrative, and that two, the evidence is robust. And to do that, you need things like audit, you need things like ethical funding, where um, algorithms have to prove that they're trustworthy, well, the algorithms wouldn't, but the designers would have to prove that they're trustworthy and that they're robust before we actually fund them. You would have to look at things like um, validation and verification. Have you validated your model? Have you verified it? Do you know what it does? Have you got a design plan? Have you got a topology of, of how the data is processed? Do you know what data is going in? Have you unit tested it? Another example that I was speaking about with Canapria was where they hadn't included protected characteristics such as gender. The model was actually working off gender because there were other indicators of, um, you know, female stay at home potentially and so therefore that was indicating gender if gender was maybe in that model you would see a lot quicker that actually that's what it was working with it was working with um i want to say stereotype because that's technically what that would be within the data you've got um a gender and then something's happening within that gender that's not happening within the other and it's treating um one gender different to the other so it's not discrimination because it's not intentional um actions it's just the way that the algorithms process the data and that all depends on the data that we're putting in and if we can't get that right 
then we definitely cannot get the process right and the output's always going to be a mess and when we look at the output we can sometimes think well actually that seems to be doing what i think it needs to be doing and we can be completely wrong um, because we've not actually checked the, the inner processes or the data. So it's all about being completely transparent with the process and making sure that your modeling is ethical and it's robust so that when it comes to, st to stand up to scrutiny, that it can. And that's so important and so key when we're from, from the beginning stages of developing a model all the way through, we have to take on stakeholder feedback and engagement we have to deal with domain experts we can't just be the technical modeler that sits in the corner and says i'm going to program that excel spreadsheet we have to do it in conjunction with people it's going to be affecting what about the users what about society what about the data constructs what about the, what the stakeholders want what about the stakeholders perceptions there's a whole lot of um, things that go into these models because what we're not talking about anymore is a simple statistical methodology we're not talking about an excel spreadsheet that just does one or two things we're talking about highly complex algorithms with huge amounts of data and if we look at things like the home office algorithm huge amounts of data being processed and you need to know that you're not going to disadvantage people at the end of it by creating this model and and to do that, you have to work with other people and, and you have to have a team, a development team that represents every facet of what you need to do with that model so that you can achieve it in an ethical and robust manner. So that so that is that was bringing me uh, nicely on to my next question, because you've talked um, a lot about into interdisciplinary teams um, and um, across, you know, uh, modeling and AI across a broad range um, of areas, but you specifically talked about in your paper as well about interdisciplinary teams um, and about the dangers of just concentrating on having a specialist where you've basically got the, the one train thought of mind when you're looking at a specific problem and perhaps ignoring some of the wider effects and the wider consequences. Um, can you talk a little bit about that in terms of the importance of interdisciplinary teams and interdisciplinary work, and particularly when we're looking at modeling? It's absolutely critical. Um, when I develop a model, I want to see a developer, I want to see a stakeholder, I want to see somebody who's going to use this. Because one, one of the critical things that people never ask is, how does this model integrate with your other systems? So what happens is somebody builds this great big, nice, shiny thing. And then they say, right, here you go. That's fantastic. And everyone says, oh, that's brilliant. That's going to be fantastic. But it doesn't work with our systems. And we haven't got the IT to support it. And we have got nobody that understands that math to support it. And also, you missed out what the stakeholder wanted. And um, that actually doesn't exist. And this assumption is wrong. And, and what's going on with this model? So you have to really make sure that in that team you've got people representing different um, parts of the equation so what i've currently got in one of my modeling teams is um, philosopher military designer knowledge expert statistician um, and then there will be audit type people there'll be a uh, best practice in um, aqua guidance is what we're using for this particular one and th this will all be kind of wound in together the only issue that that exists at the minute is that when you're developing an ai model 
the aqua guidance has not been updated to 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 deal with ai models it does deal with the general um process of modeling and it, and it will help you with the artificial intelligence end of it but it doesn't go far enough to address the ai type modeling that we're now actually trying to do such as um i mean you might say machine learning but language processing um you know variable processing it, it might not necessarily be ai as we want to term it and and be using intelligence but it's it's that kind of area so the guidance really needs updating to be able to reflect that as well but interdisciplinary working is something that i have seen probably in every single project that i've ever been on that would be the biggest failure because when the model has failed it's been because we've not had um stakeholder engagement or we've not had um you know the specialist on that area or we've not had you know sociologists and psychologists people think that you know you don't need these people if you're modeling anything analytical and you're dealing with people you might want to look at the behavioral aspect or the sociological aspect or the psychological aspect and in my wider research um these are the things that i'm addressing because you you can't just expect to be able to do a model and then it all work at the end of it because people are um, contrary to what you want to believe, you know, they, they, they behave in different ways, they do things that are unexpected, that has to be accounted for and when we're creating models we need to know how is this going to impact them and what's going to happen with society and that, that can be a big thing and just bringing on those experts and getting their input is not a hard job, um, but it's, it's critical for development of that model in an ethical manner. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, I, I think that is really an important um, uh, point that, that the paper makes in terms of the importance of inter interdisciplinary teams. Um, so just just one final question. Can you give us um, some of the key recommendations that has come from this paper? So, um... I just want to make sure that I've I've got my PowerPoint because we made a lot of recommendations on this paper um, and a lot of them I've already talked about, but they are not complex. So communication, that, that's not hard, listening to each other and talking to each other and making sure we involve who we need to involve. The, this is how basic some of the stuff comes down to leadership. Um, one of the things that happened with the Aqua book was we didn't have the leadership and we didn't have the vision. So that's um, potentially why, you know, one of the reasons it, it just didn't get, um, it didn't, didn't land very well. Because if you haven't got leadership back in you, and this was another thing picked up in the McPherson report, if you haven't got good leadership, then you're going to struggle to do very much. We can all sit there in a silo and create models and, you know, guidance, but unless there's leadership in their sponsorship, um, to get buy-in is, is very, very difficult. Um, constructive challenge and safe challenge for modelers is, is, is absolutely critical. And I was um, aghast when I kind of read that that didn't exist because if you can't challenge what's going on and if you can't as a modeler give your expert opinion, then I, I do just do not see what the point is in creating the model because how can you create anything that's reasonable and is not gonna be a detriment to society? if you can't speak your mind and say look we're doing this but it seems like it's giving the wrong results or we need to change this variable or we need to add that in 
you could add it in and test it and see what happens. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Just doing that extra little bit just to make sure that you're not going to have a really negative impact on society. It's crucial to be able to allow people the freedom to do it. And one of the criticisms of that is, well, what happens if there's a crisis? Well, if there's a crisis, what we do already have is a suite of crisis models. All that needs to happen with them is they need to be brought up to date and be able to be changed. But if you want to change your model, you have to have the paperwork, you have to have the user guide, you have to have um, the way that it works. You, you have to have information on the model. And what a lot of the models at the minute lack is this, just the basic explanations and the commenting in the coding of what does it do? And then if you know what it does and you can see the blocks of code and you can see the user guide and you can see the paperwork and the validation and verification, you can change it quite easily to suit whatever it is that you need to do. And if you've got a suite of crisis models, um, you can change them into what you need to do. I mean, in 2020, they said, well, we need to alter. We're not really the, these models historically concerned schools. We're not looking at schools. We don't need to we want to look at care homes. And it was just not they just were not given the resource all the time to change that one variable to look at that, which on the balance of the data, was critical to look at and they weren't able to look at that um, as as much as what they would have liked to do or in depth um, according to the transcripts so it's it's absolutely crucial to be able to to have that and providing support on um, modeling for practitioners i mean this has come up in in further areas of my research as well and there's huge areas where this is a deficit when you talk to modelers um it might not be that they've been trained in statistics or mathematics it might be that they've just done you know some course in modeling or no course in modeling and now they're modeling so they won't know how to collect data they won't know how to get a good sample they won't know what the context is and if you haven't got that then when you create a model you're going to run into really big difficulties and um practitioners are already asking for this stuff they've been asking for it for years it's, it's just not there um and what has has happened in some circumstances is um especially with ai many different bodies have all produced regulations and guidance and, and best practice. And now nobody knows where to look because there isn't a single source of truth or there isn't the truth, that, the, the guidance that they need. So it's, it's really, really difficult in that area at the minute. Um, providing support and guidance on, on using the data as well, you know, creating the model and making sure that, that modelers are recognised as skilled and credible people with a huge amount of expertise I mean for many of us it takes many years for us to get you know chartered um, and I'm a chartered statistician chartered scientist but it takes a long time to get that and even when you get that you might not have the experience and when you've had a huge amount of experience in modeling and you're working on you know national crisis level models you should be given the recognition and the credibility because you're advising people what to do in terms of you know something that could affect an entire population so at that point you shouldn't be just an analyst or just a modeler that I'm, I'm quite um I, i'm quite strong on the fact that nobody should ever just be a button pusher they, they should never be doing that they should always understand what it is that they're pushing the button on because otherwise that's extremely dangerous so I, nobody should ever be just um anything they, sh they should know what's going on um, and, and as I said before, and this is going to be in a forthcoming paper as well, addressing gaps, education levels. I mean, how can we get through the whole of school and not know about ethics and modelling? 
if we're creating models um, in statistics, which we do at GCSE level, we should know about ethics. And, and they kind of, they are kind of glossed over a little bit and they're not brought out as a separate subject. And it, it really should be brought out that, you know, bias in statistics is not the same as bias in history and there's different definitions. And, you know, if you're going to model female height versus male height, are there any ethical considerations? If you're going to start making decisions on these models that you're producing, what might be the ethical considerations? And to start thinking about that at that stage then breeds critical thinking for later in life, but also um, ethical considerations if you do end up in a job where you might need to do some modeling or as a user, because let's face it, AI and models are being used increasingly everywhere. And as users, do we know what data they take? Do we know how they work? Do they know how they do we know how they make decisions on our lives? Not necessarily. And that's a huge risk. And we're not actually at that point being informed of the risks and um, the possible consequences of these models. So, you know, as, as a user or, or somebody that the model is acting on, we, sh we should know these things, we should be informed. And, and again, um, you know, just just the the basic basic skills of teamwork interdisciplinary teamwork communication with stakeholders all of that that kind of um aspect of things these are all the recommendations that we put forward um not only as uh, a set of recommendations that that we found in our research but then we also kind of rolled into that the recommendations from um a whole sign paper on investigating fairness in modeling for practitioners we had this, some of the same results as that paper that was 2019 i think it was and then we had the same results and more than the mcpherson report we had um the same results and if not more than the failure of the metronet in the 90s so this is nothing new this is decades and decades of of uh, poor process which this paper now kind of states you know it's it's time we're moving on to a lot more complex models it's time that we stop we take a look and we reassess what it is that we're doing because we cannot continue throwing billions of pounds of taxpayers money down the drain and potentially or actually causing a loss of life because we're just not getting a handle on this after decades and decades of of inquiries so that is um yeah, those are the recommendations and those are the things that I really want to see acted on in the near future, because I think it really is about time now that we get a handle on this. Some really important um, outputs there from your paper, and I think that anybody reading it, and I urge all the listeners um, to, to go and read it, um, they would probably agree that they are important um, recommendations that should be implemented as we move forward to ensure that our um, decision making for modeling is eth ethically sound and is effective so yeah thank you very much marie thank you for having me on to to interview you on 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 this on this paper um and uh yeah um thank you very much yeah.